your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Good snap to him. Hangs one up. This is a pretty good kick. Spielman drifting over. Makes a backpedaling catch of the 25. Eludes attacker. He's got some room. 25, 30, 35, 40. Cutting back to the midfield. He's down the near sideline of the 40. 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, J.D. Spielman from 75 yards. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. I wondered if Tim might sprinkle a cheese call in there to open up the show tonight. I didn't ask him this, but I wonder if he sl- slept from last night. If he was just so excited for the Chiefs that he just blew off sleep for the night. Yeah, I daddy. I daddy lost any sleep on that. Welcome to another week of Sports Island here on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a great weekend. Man, what, wasn't it a gorgeous weekend? Temperatures in the 60s yesterday. Our friends out in Ogallala hit 80. Yesterday, uh, parts out there in that part of the state uh, were in the 70s. Wow, great stuff. Hope everybody had a chance to get out. Breathe in some air. Get you one day closer to spring. It's certainly cool back off today, but uh, at least a good day, a couple good days to get out. Stretch your legs a little bit. Open up the house. Maybe get some fresh air in the house. Uh, good, Great stuff to have that. Here's what we have coming up on the program tonight. The Super Bowl was yesterday. We're going to talk to an NFL player, a Husker NFL player. Jeremiah Searles is going to join us later on in the hour to give us his thoughts about that game. We'll also talk some Husker football with Jeremiah as well. Hour number two, it's our men's basketball show for the week. Head coach Fred Hoiberg will be in studio, ready to take your calls and comments. Huskers had a flat performance against Penn State. We'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, they have the entire week off. They don't play again until Saturday, and it might be coming at a really good time for this team. They might need just kind of a mental flush over the next several days to kind of collect themselves. It's been a rough stretch for the Huskers, as we know, uh, but we'll get the head coach in here in hour number two. Hour three, we'll have our weekend rewind, and we'll also talk about Super Bowl commercials, the halftime show, which certainly created a lot of buzz both on the positive side and the negative side. Uh, we'll do that coming up in hour number three as well. Let's start with the Super Bowl, and we'll, we'll stick to the game. We'll keep the other stuff, Ben, for hour three. But highly competitive game. You can see why the odds makers had that thing, basically a pick em. And for three-plus three quarters, it appeared that the Niners were the better team. And yet, in the end, the Chiefs, Get it done with 21 points in the last seven minutes of the game and win it 31-20. to 20. Um, he- Heck of a win. Kansas City's going to be celebrating for weeks and months to come. And uh, they, they get that 50-year monkey off their back of winning the Super Bowl. It was a heck of a game. Yeah, man. I, uh, it's really hard for me to look at this game, uh, you know, objectively because of just how invested I was in it emotionally. But – um, you know, one of my best friends is a 49ers fan. Uh, cousin I'm very close with is a 49ers fan. And, you know, from a Niners standpoint, the game went about as best case scenario as you could have for three quarters. I mean, you think about what they were able to do against Kansas City um, for three quarters. And I think, you know, a lot of Niners fans probably thought they were going to win the game because of it. I know I, I certainly did. You know, for San Francisco to win that game, they needed to be able to get pressure with four. And they did that. They needed to keep a safety on top of, of Tyree Kill and not let him blow the roof off. They did that. And I thought they were really smart matching Richard Sherman up with Travis Kelsey a handful of times to take him out of the game too. So 
you know, that's that's something that not very many teams, if any team, was able to to do to Kansas City the entire year was take away Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and get pressure on Mahomes with four. I mean, you take you, you have those three ingredients going your way, and it's it's really hard to move the ball. Um, give a lot of credit to the Chiefs coaches for sticking with the run. Um, they haven't had to run the ball that much or that often in this entire, you know, playoff run. Part of it was because they've been losing the entire time, couldn't afford to be running the ball. But, um, you know, stick with it with Damian Williams I thought was was huge. And, um, you know, I'm imagining I'm imagining how things would be if the, if the roles were flipped. You know, if I was a 49er fan and I watched that game and how – how sad I'd be today because I thought, you know, Garoppolo starting 18 for 21 and, you know, really having the, the unlucky interception where you got hit, the ball kind of fluttered up in the air and Breland picked it off. Uh, you know, I thought that their game plan was a great one. You know, Chiefs so worried about the outside zone. They hit them on the backside with, with a few reverses and Kansas City didn't really have the answer to it. I thought they had a great game plan. And then um, – you know, Mahomes throws the second interception in the third quarter, and you're going, oh, boy, this is, this is not our day. And, you know, everything kind of changed after that possession when Kansas City held them um, scoreless, and they finally hit the big one to Tyreek Hill, which was a great catch, by the way. I don't think people are enough people talking about that catch. When you have to stop your route completely and just wait for that thing to come down like a punt, and when you got a defender screaming at you, for him to just not hear the footsteps and haul that thing in was great. Uh, but then after they hit the big one to Tyreek, I think everybody kind of felt the game shift a little bit. And, and the only question was, after Kansas City scored, could San Francisco get the ground game back established? And the answer was no. Um, due to, you know, they didn't stick to it. They tried to do a lot of different other things offensively. But they left the door open for Kansas City. And as Houston will tell you, as Tennessee will tell you, you leave that door open, number 15 is going to burn you. And that's exactly what happened. You, you mentioned it Friday night when we were previewing the, previewing the game that maybe the un, unsung unit that was going to have a big impact on this game was the Chiefs defense. And I think they won the game for the Chiefs. The two three and outs in the fourth quarter. Then the twice holding San Francisco to field goals instead of touchdowns. And I think the Niners probably should have gone for it on, I think they had fourth and one on one of them. But, but holding them to threes, threes don't beat the Chiefs because Mahomes is too explosive. So I think the Chiefs' defense probably hasn't gotten enough credit in the last 24 hours for winning that Super Bowl because of those two things, the two three-and-outs in the fourth quarter and the two red zone stops for field goals instead of touchdowns. That To me, those were huge. Patrick Mahomes did not play well. He played well late, but he did not play well for a bulk of that game, and yet the Chiefs found a way to win. Um, Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of the Niners, Ben, has been just getting bloodied for the last 24 hours for a couple things. One, how conservative he played the end of the first half. They get the stop on the Chiefs with about a minute 40 to go. They have all three timeouts left. He doesn't call a timeout after the third down stop, so the Chiefs dropped the clock down about a minute five before they had to punt. So right there he gave away about 40 seconds. And then he ran the ball twice. The Chiefs call the timeout. They hit the Chiefs with that pass over the middle. And then a big call on the offensive P.I. on Kittle. I want your thoughts about whether was that a good call or not. Because if that call, if they don't, if that flag doesn't get thrown, they're in field goal range and could have broke the tie uh, going into the locker room. So what do you think of the Kittle call? Well, I, it, it really looked to me live like he pushed off. Um, because, you know, when you watch it full speed for the first time, 
all you see is the arm extend away mm-hmm. from Sorensen. And, and you, you weren't sure at the time, okay, how much did he actually push off? How much it was just the arm motion extending out? Um, live, I definitely thought he shoved off. And then I thought, okay, they're going to throw the flag, and I thought it was a good call. But, you know, you watch it, and he really didn't gain that much of an advantage um, by doing that. But, again, the illusion, when you get two yards of separation late, and you have that arm extending type motion, it's going to get called. Uh, I know Shanahan was freaking out about it. It's a huge play in the game. Uh, San Francisco probably kicks a field goal, and they get the ball to start the second half. Um, but, you know, it was a huge play. And, and honestly, you know, as, as upset the 49ers are with that play, and I get it, you should be more upset with how you handled the clock situation two or three plays before that. So, I mean – to put it all in that play, I don't think is necessarily fair. Um, slow motion, did I think it was PI? Probably not. But I, again, live, I thought it was PI. You saw, you saw the arm shove off. There was enough separation there to think maybe he got separation because of it. I know why the flag was called, and I know why 49ers are, fans are upset. But I also know, you know, a 12 year old playing Madden football knows to call a timeout in that situation, and they didn't do it. When you when you get the shot of the GM up in the suite going, why aren't we calling timeout? I, I mean, I think Shanahan went to the Kittle. He, he mentioned it in his postgame a couple of different times. But when you got the GM of your organization, John Lynch, going, he's just the cameras catch him going, call the timeout, it, that's on Shanahan to me. And I think they did abandon the run way too much in the second half. They averaged six yards a carry against the Chiefs. They're averaging 12 at one point in the second half. They were. So he's catching all kinds of heat, and I think that's legit what he's catching in this game. Any coach would if you have a 10-point lead in the Super Bowl, the biggest football game of the year, with eight minutes to go in the game and you lose. By 11, you're going to catch some criticism, and he rightfully is. But for the Chiefs, what a way to get this 50-year monkey off their back, as I mentioned. Good for them. They're a worthy champion. They beat – they beat three hot football teams late to do it by beating Houston, Tennessee, and then San Francisco to win it. They certainly earned the championship, and I couldn't be more happier for a guy than I am for Andy Reid, who I think is a magnificent coach. I debated this with a couple people over the weekend, whether he was a Hall of Fame coach. There's no doubt. To me, I think he needed to win a Super Bowl. Now he's in. Clearly he's in. A lot of people said he's in regardless of... I think you got to win the big one at some point in time in your career to be labeled as a Hall of Famer. Now there's no question about it. I think he's one of the great coaches in the last couple of decades, and, and that, that game last night put the stamp on it for me. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, and look, the, the thing that, that I think is most is probably why – think about it this way. What got San Francisco to that game? The running game. It was the running game. Mm-hmm. I mean, Garoppolo had thrown, what was it, 16 passes in the last six quarters or something like that to get there. Think about it if it was the other way around. Think about if this was how the game went against Tennessee for Kansas City. And and Tennessee had a 10-point lead, and they had Derrick Henry, and they had everything they do, and all of a sudden you're giving the ball to Ryan Tannehill. I mean, like that that to me, like there were so many thoughts in my head after the game yesterday, but I'm thinking if this happened against the Titans, there's no way Kansas City comes back to win. It's over. There's not. It's over. Because – there's no way Vrabel's abandoning that running game. They're going to take this that game as far as 22 is going to take him. And I think it kind of goes back to what you said before half. He got way too conservative thinking, okay, we're good at 10-10. And we get the we ball. We get the ball. 
this is exactly where we want to have him. We're good here. Let's not make the big mistake. I think I thought he coached scared. And then I think that you go back and then I'm going to go back to the Houston game too. When Bill O'Brien decided to not go for it, that play call affected him the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Well, then they decided to fake the punt and Do- Sorensen tackles him for a loss and that flipped that entire game. And I thought the same thing happened with Shanahan after he decided to do that. I think he was rethinking in his mind. I started going too conservative. Now I'm going to go aggressive. And I thought the you know that that he never really got over that play call because the entire second half it was it, it was like something changed. It was something changed in him. Something flipped in his mind that all of a sudden we're going to start taking these shots and they weren't even taking the shots to Kittle uh, they weren't finding their best players it was it was we're going to take these shots down the field to Kendrick Bourne and look I know Emmanuel Sanders is a great player but you know you've got other guys right now that are were a lot bigger problems for Kansas City than Emmanuel Sanders and and Debo Samuel at least as a receiver he, he hurt you pretty bad on those reverses but I thought I thought that that play call affected him or the, the end of the half affected him to where he felt like he needed a compensate for his conservative nature to start go ultra aggressive and at at that point it was too late so those are some initial thoughts of the super bowl we'll certainly keep this going throughout the night tonight i want to shift gears and talk a little husker basketball the big red home saturday to penn state um i think for the first time in a long time i think the head coach was really unhappy with his basketball team and the mindset they brought to pba and it started with Cam Mack being late to a film session on Friday, which cost him the ability to start. And good for Coach Hoiberg, in my mind, for laying down the law. This is year one. This is foundation year for this program. And this is a year to teach lessons and to set standards and to tell, tell players in the program now and players to come into the program now, here's how we're going to do things. And not starting Cam, I think, was a very, very strong message. What then I saw from Cam was really disappointing, Ben. 21 minutes, doesn't score a point. That's pretty sad for a guy that's been pretty darn hot for you, 0 for 6 on the field, 0 for 2 for 3-point range, and a very, very flat performance by this team, particularly in the second half when Penn State took a 5-point halftime lead and just buried Nebraska. Oscars come back and make it look semi-respectable at the end. But this was a step back for this program that had been making, I thought, baby steps, including the game you saw at Rutgers a few weeks ago. You, you kind of felt like one of these was coming. Uh, you can only you can only have so many things go against you for so long before you let it affect the way that you play, because they're they're young guys. I mean, and, and there's still a young team and guys that haven't played together before. You wondered when that was finally going to have its effect on the floor, and it, it kind of culminated on on Saturday with that effort with Penn State. I mean, I think Coach Hoiberg's a pretty good judge of of what type of effort and what type of mentality is going into a game. And when he says it's off, it's obviously off. And then you, and then, you know, you look at this, the stats, even the, the, sometimes they don't tell the story, but sometimes they do, you know, when Cam Mack doesn't start and then, you know, lays a goose egg, you know, something's just not right. And I think, you know, this is a, this is a learning experience as much as the other games were a learning experience. And I think you gotta, you know, take this one and, 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 know that these next few opponents aren't going to feel sorry for you you know especially with the way the big 10 season's going there are no games in the in the league that are easy if there is one that everyone's kind of looking at it right now and they're going 
okay, well, Nebraska's gettable. This is one we can get. And so every team's looking to feast on you. You got to find a way to turn that around and, uh, you know, hopefully catch a team sleeping because everyone else in the league is looking at you right now as a free win. How about the week off right now? Good time? Well, I think, you know, even regardless of how this weekend's game went, you know, you kind of you got to look at this as a reset. Um, you know, whether you played well and you lost that game in overtime by one or you lost it the way that you lost it, you know, it's just an it's just another one kind of in a row on the loss column. And I think, you know, this time away is is probably good for reflection because, look, here's the thing. And we talked about this a lot with the football team, too, Greg, is you look at it and you go, OK, we only get to play how many games a year? And obviously it's a lot more basketball than it is football. The rest of the time, we're lifting, we're running, we're working out, we're putting blood, sweat, and tears into this program for this time of the year. And I'm not going to take that for granted. And you've got guys, a couple of seniors on this team, that this this is their last stretch of games but in their college career and maybe their basketball career. So you got to just kind of take a step back and go, okay, well, this is what we've been prepared for. This is what we've been waiting for the entire year let's not punt away the rest of this season and just start focusing on next year already. Let's try and find a way to scrape some of these together and, and finish the season on the right note. All right, again, Coach Hoiberg coming in at the top of the hour. We'll get into a full hour of Husker Hoops talk, but disappointing night at PBA against Penn State. Nebraska now has dropped seven in a row after having a 2-2 two and two league record there in early January. It's been a tough stretch. No games until Saturday for the Big Red. They'll travel to Iowa City to take on the Hawkeyes on Saturday. 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. The number if you want to dot us up with a comment or question, we're back to talk with Jeremiah Searles, former Husker, current member of the Buffalo Bills, get his take on the Super Bowl and Husker football. We'll do that next. We're back Monday Night Sports Highly here on the Husker Sports Network. Fred Hoiberg again in the, at the top of the hour for his weekly show. Huskers have the entire week off. Don't get back on the court until Saturday at Iowa City. Delighted to welcome on board the program, former Husker NFL player Jeremiah Searles. Good evening, Mr. Searles. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? Great. What did you think of the game yesterday? I liked it. I think it was a, it was a good game. I was excited to see. I mean, so many times the Super Bowl turns into the Super Bowl. And, I mean, it was a legitimate good game. And as much as I wanted San Francisco to win, I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy for Andy Reid and his Chiefs that they pulled it out. But, man, Kyle Shanahan's going to just continue to have nightmares for the next couple of years, I think. That's where I was going to go next. He, he has really, and, and probably rightfully so, taken a lot of ribbing today. Uh, what parts of his play-calling game management did you have the biggest problems with? Yeah, I just I didn't like that they pretty much abandoned the run game, consistent run game there towards the end of the game. Um, early on in the game, you could tell that Kansas City was not going to let them run it between the tackles. Um, they were going to force them to run to the perimeter, which they had really good success with. I mean, a lot of times they're pulling the tackle. They get McGlinchey, Staley, and uh, Kittle out there and Juszczyk leading up and on corners and safeties and getting some good hay. And then it seemed like when they got to 20-10, to 10, I don't necessarily know if he went timid, but – it just seemed like all of a sudden he tried to drop Garoppolo back a couple times too many, and Garoppolo may have tried to force a few things. But it just seemed to me that they just kind of fell out of sync there about into the third quarter, very early into the fourth quarter, which really gave Kansas City the opportunity to get that momentum rolling again and get back and take that lead. Okay, end of the first half, they stopped the Chiefs with about a minute 40 to go. Don't call it one of their three timeouts, so the clock gets down to about a minute before Kansas City punts. They, they showed a shot of the owner's box for 
the Niners and you could see the GM like signaling, why aren't we calling a timeout? How baffled were you by how he played in the end of the first half? Yeah, I was I was super confused. I was watching like, okay, nice to let Jimmy Garoppolo go take a shot here, get a chance, maybe get a field goal. And when they were just playing so passive, I was like, man, this is this is the Super Bowl. Like, what are we doing? Like, there's no play it safe. There's no, like, especially going against an offense like Kansas City that can, I mean, at times score at will when they get hot and they get rolling. And so, I mean, points were going to be a premium in this game. You could just tell that early on. And that just really surprised me at the game management piece there. I mean, John Lynch, a former player, he understands it. He's the one up there screaming timeout. And then Kyle Shanahan, I mean, he understands it. He's been around a lot. It was just really surprising. I mean, unless for whatever reason they were worried about maybe uh, Garoppolo throwing an interception or they were worried about him trying to force something there and just trying to get in the halftime and regroup because they did get the ball first coming out. But usually that's the time you try and hit that double dip where you can make that a 10-point swing or a 14-point swing or some way to score there right before the end of the half and then try and score in the opening possession. So, yeah, that was really bizarre to me. Jeremiah, how, how big of a, a factor was the Chiefs' defense? Everybody knew the Niners have such a great defense and, and played Kansas City really well for the most part. But what about Kansas City's defense and their impact on that game? Yeah, I mean, I think a guy that was I mean, really the unsung hero was Chris Jones in the middle. Yeah. I mean, that guy, he, he absolutely wreaked havoc left and right, whether it was in the pass rush or in the run game. I mean, I think two of his biggest plays were those knockdown passes. I mean, both those passes were going to go for completions, and who knows how far they could run after that. But, I mean, the awareness that he realized he was getting the double team, he realized the center was sliding to him, and so he'd stop his rush, read Jimmy's eyes, and then jump up and knock the pass down. And then when they did single him up one-on-one, neither one of those guards really could go toe-to-toe with him. He's an elite player. So I think he stepped up to the – I mean, he really stepped up to the – the play and knocked it out of the park as far as a guy needing to step up. And then Honey Badger was all over the field. And then uh, Breland, in my opinion, was another guy that really had just an incredible game. I mean, from start to finish, he was all over knocking out passes. I think he's the one that had the interception. I mean, he just played a really solid against those Debo Samuel and Manuel Sanders, two very good wide receivers for San Francisco. And so I think Kansas City definitely played up compared to what they've been playing with their defense. I think they played out of their minds, and they had players play their best games at the best moment, and that's what really helped them kind of elevate to that next level because really Kansas City's defense has been spotty at best a lot of times through this playoff run and really throughout the entire season. Jeremiah Searles with us, former Husker, member of the Buffalo Bills this past season. Some thoughts about yesterday's Super Bowl. Jeremiah, we are two days away from the National Signing Day, and this one feels so different than what we – became accustomed to for years and years and decades and decades when there was only one signing day. That's the way it was when you signed with Nebraska uh, a few years ago. Are you, are you surprised that so many kids are signing now in the December period? And what do you make of that? Is it, was that a good move for college football to allow um, incoming student athletes to sign that early? I like it because it allows the the early enrollment piece for guys to come in that are JUCO or even want to come in there at semester. But I I also like it because, I mean, football is still fresh in your mind in December. Because, I mean, in high school, your last games usually, I mean, start in October maybe or middle of November is when your last football game is. And so if you're fresh out of football and you're still watching teams play and hopefully the team you're committing to is in the bowl games and hopefully they're getting revved up, it really just kind of breeds excitement and it breeds the excitement for those players to want to sign and get in the building because you just, if you start letting that excitement kind of die down, you get through the playoff, 
you get through the month of January where all that's going on is NFL. There's really no college anymore. It's really easy to let your mind wander as a young kid and let other people influence you and start hearing other things, other voices. And so I like the early signing day. And then I, I almost think that they should just do away with the late signing day and just do it all in December. Because, I mean, there was so much hype, Sharpie, about with all the stuff as far as, like, December signing towards, like, I feel like I've heard nothing about this signing day. Yeah, particularly around here like, where it may be zero or maybe one, but, yeah, it's, there's right. no doubt. It's Now, like, I think if you have a new staff, Jeremiah, that's a different deal. Mm-hmm. You, you have that's a hard fair. time putting much together for that one in December. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the new staff piece is hard. I couldn't imagine trying to throw an entire recruiting class together in a month. But, uh, I mean, they got to do it. But, yeah, so I, I just – I like the – I like the December signing day. It gives kids a lot of options. But, yeah, we got to keep this late signing day for the new ones and yep. then also some kids for some academic issues too, I'm sure. Yep, no doubt. Jeremiah Searles with us here on Sports Nightly. Um, the guys that right now are, are in the winter conditioning. What, what was that like in your playing days? Did you dread it? Was it a fun time of year for you? How did you approach this time of year in the calendar for a college football player? I loved winter conditioning. Um, winter conditioning and summer conditioning were two of some of my favorite times to be around my teammates because it's where you really build your relationships. It's where you build the bonds with your brothers. It's where leaders are formed. It's where great teammates are formed. And it's just a, it's a, this experience that really you can't explain to people outside of it of grinding through something that's just so horrifically hard and you really can only lean on the guys around you. And you lean on these guys and they help you through it because, I mean, you go through the grinder. I mean, when I was there, Dobson used to put us through all kinds of crazy stuff. He used to put something called GPP, which is essentially a bunch of stations that really got your, like, growth. I think it was, like, growth physical preparedness or something like that where you did, like, sleds and med balls and sprints. And you just go to build this work capacity piece to it. And it's just so hard and such a struggle, but you just do it with your buddies to where I love just going, working out, BSing with my buddies in the gym and then going to class and coming home. And you don't have that grueling schedule of what the fall is with practice and then meetings. And then, I mean, it's this kind of this lull between spring ball now where you have these opportunities to just kind of be a student but you're all still still working really very very hard physically, just not as demanding of a schedule with football. Jeremiah, was was it also a bit of a? I'm not sure how I'm going to phrase this. A separator. I mean, could you really tell who who was into it and wanted to get bigger and stronger and faster and quicker and all those things, and those that just said, "I'm just going to I'm going to kind of just get by this phase because if it if it doesn't involve having the ball in my hands or whatever, I don't care about it." Did you notice any of that when you were going through those things? If if it got noticed when we were doing it, we nipped it in the butt pretty oh. quick. Yeah. Um, that was something that we didn't tolerate uh, as players, as a leader, as a guy that started a lot of games as young. And I mean, I had great leaders that showed me the way to do it. That that was just something we didn't tolerate. And you nipped it in the butt real quick. And if you didn't want to do it, get out. Like, don't be here. And uh, you'd be surprised when you start threatening that type of stuff and you start threatening the guys like, fine, you don't want to do it. We just, you just won't be here. How quickly they get into shape and how quickly they kind of fall on the line. That's part of growing up. That's part of having that, like I talked about earlier, the good leaders and the good teammates that can do that and not be afraid to call people out. One of the hardest things to develop in a college program is leaders because they are your brothers. You're with them every single day. You see them every single day. And sometimes being a leader means making things uncomfortable. It means calling a guy out saying, hey, you're not cutting it. And 
the ability to maybe turn that off and go be buddies off the field. But when you're in there, you understand what a leader means. Like that's a tough thing to do. And so if you can develop those leaders now and get all that nipped in the butt now that it doesn't carry over to spring football, it doesn't carry over to fall camp and you reap the benefits of it all during the fall. Who, who uh, showed you the way who, who, who made an impression on you at a young age in the program? Yeah, I mean, a guy that made a huge impression on me at a young age was Mike Caputo and Ricky Henry. Yeah. I mean, those two guys absolutely just exemplified what it meant to be a Husker offensive lineman. I mean, those dudes just worked their tail off. Caputo being a walk-on guy, a smaller guy. Ricky being a Juco guy coming in, being an all-Big 12 type guy. They just shut up and they just worked. And And I loved it. I loved seeing that. Another guy was Roy Helu. I mean, the guy, the work ethic of what he had and what he did was just so incredible and so fun to watch and learn from those guys that you model certain things, not just in your game, but as a player and as a person. And I wanted to model Ricky's toughness in the game. I wanted to model Caputo's cerebral part to the game where he just would break everything down. And then I really wanted to model Roy Helu's vocal leadership. I mean, those three guys are kind of what I, I tailored myself to be and then I hope that guys would watch me and hope that one day man I want to be I want to do whatever he did to make this work or I want to take a piece of what he did to help myself grow as a player and grow as a leader I mean if you get a culture that's like that it's contagious and then you have everyone's trying to be a leader everyone's trying to be better and it trickles down and as it trickles down then you have young guys that are stepping up to the plate and being leaders at a young age and that's when you start becoming a very good football team is when you have you don't have to worry about, oh, hey, that guy's not doing it. You don't have to worry about trickling those guys out because it doesn't exist anymore. Very good. Great stuff. And hopefully that's happening right now over at the uh, the Sioux uh, indoor workout facility. Did you have a favorite commercial yesterday? Did anything stick out to you? You know, I liked the Post Malone one with the Bud Light Seltzer. I thought that yeah. one was clever. <laughs> I thought that one. I thought that one was clever. Um, he posted the other one on Instagram, and I thought that one was also really clever. He had two of them shot, but I thought those ones were funny. Other than that, I thought they were all pretty, pretty bland. I mean, the, the halftime show is interesting as well, uh-huh. but I yeah. think the the commercials definitely, I think, have taken a shot as far as how good they've been the last couple of years. Very good. What about you? What did you, you see? Uh, I, I kind of like the, the Groundhog Day one with, with Bill Murray. That one was good. That's one of my favorite movies. So when they did that, they had me one with that one. There it is. Very good. Jeremiah, always great to catch up. Thank you so much. Uh, stay healthy, and we'll be in touch. Absolutely. Sounds good, guys. Go Big Red. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Basketball Radio Show, right here on the Husker Sports Network. Winding up with his young, and he threw it right into the hands of Green. Ortley snapping it out of midair. Tried an entry bounce pass. Green on the right side, drives the ball to the racks, puts a double, hit the layup. Gervais Green coming from obscurity after he was benched and missed four games and he has been the player of the game for the Big Red. We're up by three now. An inside look at what's going on around Nebraska basketball. Moore has a screen by Ivan. Refuses the screen in the corner to Easley. Touch pass right back to Cam. Mack against Ron Harper Jr. Three ball. Bang! A ring! A huge, humongous three ball by Cam Mack and Nebraska's up by five. With the head coach, Fred Hoiberg. Pick and pop. Cross top of the circle. Starts in on Teske. Pump fake. Doubled. Kicks it out. Burke drives it to the rim and the goal to tie it at 50. Cross with the find. 
and Burke with a tying field goal. Sponsored in part by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit online at yourmidwestforddealers.com. Now here's your host of the Nebraska Basketball Radio Show, Greg Sharp. Thank you. Welcome to the program. Here's the number if you want to be a part of this one with us tonight, 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. Nebraska coming off flat performance is that okay that that adjective with the game saturday night a flat half i actually when i went back and watched the first half we actually did a lot of good things first uh, five minutes were really good really good and you know defensively i thought we forced them to take the shots we wanted them to take uh, you looked at wheeler number five he'd made five threes the entire year and he goes out and he hits two shots right. second one was contested well by cam uh, but, you know, as, as the half went on, I didn't think our movement was as good. Early on, it was flying around. First five baskets were all assisted. Uh, not much after that. And we missed seven free throws. We go four for 11 from the line, and we go down uh, into the half, down five points. So, you know, you make three of those free throws, and, you know, it's a one-possession game. So, you know, second half is where it was so disappointing to me, Greg. I thought we came out extremely flat out of the locker room for whatever reason. You know, the previous game against Michigan, we took control in the second half, and that's when we took a lead. It was the same deficit, five points, and we went out, and I thought I had great energy uh, to start the second half in the game before. And then uh, last night, or uh, the other night against uh, um, Penn State, you know, we just came out and – it didn't have it and then we put our heads down kind of reverted back to what we did earlier in the season and that's the disappointing thing it was extremely disappointing to me because we had a great crowd uh you want to go out there and you know i think one thing that our fans have liked about this team is the growth that they've made and the effort that they play with uh every time that they step on the court and you know when you don't have that it's really disappointing uh especially when you're in, in your home building so you know a, a learning opportunity for us we had a good sharp uh practice today we've got all week uh with the bye uh don't play again until next week at iowa on saturday uh, so it gives us a great opportunity to get in there and compete uh, and go out there and, and, and correct some things. And hopefully uh, we've got a tough – this bye week, you know, it came at a pretty good time because we've got at Iowa and at Maryland. It's going to be two extremely difficult games, uh, and we need to play better. We need to play a complete 40 minutes if we're going to have a chance. Lamar Stevens is a guy that can go get 30. For the most part, it seemed like you had him under control. What was the plan to try to limit him a little? Well, and that's that was what we did. We we double teamed off a of Wheeler and uh, had short closeouts to him. He he really hadn't attempted many uh, threes, and you know we'd had success against Iowa when we did that, and a couple times we've been burned by uh, guys that have knocked down shots. You know, I was impressed with Penn State. They 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 they're that's a high level team, and they've got a lot of power on that team, led by Stevens. Uh, he hit a couple mid range pull up contested shots. We were going to live with them. You know, we didn't want him getting all the way to the rim. Second half, he did. Uh, but the first half, I thought we did a solid job uh, with our game plan, going out there and executing and making them take uh, tough shots. Uh, but, you know, they, that team's got shooters all around. They're top five in the nation in experience and uh, with the age of that team. Uh, so I think that's a, a, a team that I think at the end of the day, you know, when they get in the NCAA tournament, they have a chance to do a lot of really good things. Watkins, they brought off the bench in this game, and he put up a big night as well. But he made even a couple of 17-footers that you probably can live with those as well. Yeah, you know, that's just those plays you shake your head at. And, um, you know, but he is, you know, the thing about Watkins, he's seven years older than Ivan. Yeah. You know, he's 24 years old, Ivan's 17, and – uh, he's been coming off the bench since he had his injury. He's uh, the last three games. He has been coming off the bench. Uh, but they're two centers. You know, they give them uh, obviously they have great depth at that position, great size, and a lot of rim protection. You know, that's one thing with Watkins. He averages three blocks per game in about 20 minutes. So he leads the league in shots uh, blocked per minute. 
And, you know, it's just, you know, you talk about it going in there, you can't challenge him at the rim. You have to make the kick out. And, and again, I, I thought uh, the lack of movement uh, really cost us in that game. Uh, we've been doing a really good job, I think. Our assist numbers are, you know, they're top three in the league. Uh, I think we were first as of, uh, you know, a couple games ago. And assist to turnover ratio, we're first. So we've been doing a pretty good job of not only making the right play, but taking care of the basketball. And we got away from that against Penn State. When we do that, uh, we do not give ourselves a chance. How concerned are you with the mental aspect of this team right now? It's been almost a month now since you've tasted victory, and that's usually the fuel that keeps you going a little bit. Yeah, I mean, for this group, again, I, the way that I judge, you know, how the guys are is how they come into practice and how they prepare. And for the most part, our guys have been really focused uh, in our practices. They've given great effort in the practices. And, again, besides that second half against Penn State, uh, they've been given great effort in games. And it is, it's hard because, you know, we've had a chance to win a few of them. Uh, you know, you go out against a great Rutgers team uh, that's undefeated in their building, sold out arena, great atmosphere, and we played them as well as anybody's played them all year and had a chance to win that game. Now, we hit shots at a high level, and, and you know I thought it uh, really defended and it had a great physicality to us, which we did not the first time we played them, uh, and then bounced back uh, the next game against Michigan and had a lead, uh, took the lead with, with under uh, 13 minutes to go. Uh, so we've had good moments, uh, Greg. It's just, again, it, the, you know, the inconsistent stretches that we've had uh, is what we need to fix. If we, you know, we have a very small margin, very thin margin with this team, and we have to play pretty much perfect uh, to have a chance to win. But our guys are growing, I think, and getting better. Uh, you know, we still have a lot of things to do to work on. But, you know, when I look at those guys that we have sitting out and I look at, you know, the recruiting class that hopefully we'll bring in this year, uh, you know, we're going to have a chance to get this thing turned around very quickly. And, you know, again, with some of the young pieces that we have on this group as well. You were asked about Deshaun on your press conference on Friday. He's He's been scuffling. He's been having a hard time knocking down jump shots. What are you seeing from him, and, and what's holding him back right now? Yeah, he's, you know, again, guys are going to go through struggles over the course of the season, and he had a great stretch of basketball. Um, you know, you look at what he did at Wisconsin, uh, he had 10 baskets all in the paint. And, you know, he's had some games where he struggled to finish inside. Uh, he's had games earlier in the year where he really shot the ball well, but he's going through a tough stretch right now of shooting. He's getting a little flat. And, you know, same thing with Charlie. Is Really, I worked with Charlie before practice today for about a half an hour just on trusting his shot and finishing high. Human nature is you try to get as close to that rim as you can. You almost try to guide that thing into the basket. <clears throat> so, you know, the thing is to trust the shot and continue with a high release. Those guys are both good shooters. And they've they've had uh, you know they've had good moments and you know it's just about coming out hopefully and having a game where they take the lid off of the basket and then uh, they're off and running. You hear the term that some guys are, are, are knocked down shooters, some guys are just scorers. Is Burke more of just a scorer because he can't take it to he, the rim? He, he's he's I would label Burke as more of a scorer. He he's got and he's got a scorer's mentality. I mean, there's times where he'll have the ball and. Uh, you know, I remember talking to Kevin McHale uh, one time. I think it was Cedric Maxwell he was playing with. and Cornbread. Yeah, cornbread. And, you know, Kevin was running up the floor, and he said, uh, he said, Max, didn't you see me? He said, I'm wide open and wing. He said, Mac, if you ain't sitting on the rim, I ain't seeing you. So, you know, some guys just have that mentality. Yeah. And that's one thing, Burke, when he gets the ball, his first instinct is to look at the basket. Now, I'll say this. In the uh, Rutgers game, they'd really help off uh, and, and, and 
attack the ball uh, when you're on the bounce. Burke made some great plays in the first half. He didn't score the ball well. He didn't shoot the ball well. I think he was one for eight uh, that game, but he made some really good, simple basketball plays in that first half. He got Thor, uh, I think, three wide-open threes uh, just by making a simple play. So he has gotten better uh, in that area, but I thought he reverted back a little bit the other night. Uh, you know, Instead of getting the ball shifted side to side, he switched direction on his dribble, and the ball stayed on the same side. And a team like Penn State, they're just too big, they're too long, they're too athletic not to get them shifted and going side to side. How's he is he able to to stop that mindset of struggling on the offensive end does it affect him on the other end? You know I don't think so. You know, the one thing you always know about Burke is he's going to go out and play hard. He's going to give you a great effort. Uh, you know, at times he gets, you know, a little bit as far as gambling and, you know, making a bad stab, um, but it's never because he's lacking effort. He's right. always going to go out there and play hard. And he'll he'll jump in there a few times and get you some steals. He's been able to do that for you. Yeah, yeah. We just you know again, it's it's staying under control and staying within the framework of what we're trying to do uh, on the defensive end. You don't want to open up a gap and get them in the paint. We just don't have that shot blocker back there right now. If you have a guy like for example Penn State, you know they got Watkins back there, and you can be a little bit more aggressive on the perimeter because if you get beat, you got an elite rim protector back there. We don't have that on this team. Yeah. Another guy that met with the media last week was a caller rope who played in both games last week. Tell me what progress you've seen since you've gotten him here in Lincoln and where, where is it? Where's the future for him? You know, I, I, he's, he's gotten better as the year's gone on. There's no doubt about that. And he practices well. He's working, always working on his game. Uh, you know, if, He's not the first guy in the gym in the morning. He's the second guy in the gym. And he's getting work on his jump shot, which has greatly improved. His feel for the game is improving. Uh, and he's, he's as athletic as anybody in our roster. And you saw that. He had a good, you know, a couple dunks in the last game. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I put him in uh, the game before, and he went in a battle test. He fronted him and got into his legs. And I've, I've talked to him about this, I, you know, because of how much he's improved to stay ready. Uh, there's going to be an opportunity to get out there and play important minutes. And, you know, I went with him. Kevin got his fourth foul against Michigan, which was a huge play because Kevin, you know, was doing a great job taking Teske away from the basket, hitting shots and attacking long closeouts. Uh, and, you know, I just felt like a call was the right guy to put in because I knew he'd give us great energy on that end. And I thought he held his own against a 7-1 guy. He's given up, you know, you know, damn near a foot. Yeah. And, you know, going out there and competing extremely hard. And, and, I, and I knew he would do that. And then I thought he followed that up with good minutes on the game the other night against Penn State. How, how critical will the offseason be for him developing, getting stronger, all those things. Yeah, it's 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 very important. Uh, you know, all the young players that we have on this roster. Uh, you know, with the two centers that we have with Ivan and Kevin. Uh, you know, those guys are learning. You know, on the fly right now, just because of the makeup of our roster. Mm -hmm. uh, Charlie Easley is you know doing a great job for us out there. You know, especially with hustle plays and effort plays, uh, and then a call. Uh, you know, is, is our you know the fourth freshman. So you know, those guys. Uh, it's always important in my mind whatever level you're at, I think the improvement you make most is from your first to your second year. Whether you're going from your freshman to your sophomore year, uh, because you know what the league is, uh, you get a full year uh, of strength training uh, after uh, going through full practices and playing against this level of competition. And the same thing in the NBA. You know, when you're a rookie, you know, there's such a learning curve. Uh, and then you get a great summer of development. And then you go in your second year and you're so much more prepared. So, you know, I think it's the same. Whatever level you're playing at, uh, you know, you get a lot of, you know, kind of on-court tutoring and you're just better prepared that second year. Welcome back. Monday night, Sports Sonic. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin. Back in the back, Tim Curran, Austin Orman with us. 
Let's talk some Super Bowl. Other than the game, guys, um, review some of the commercials. Yeah. Anything, anything grab you, Tim? I think the one that grabbed me, and I think it was in the first quarter, well, besides Tom, Tom Terrific's Hulu ad, and as I was perched on the edge of my couch waiting for his announcement, the one I found the funniest was the Snickers ad um, with lots of relevant, shall we say, social commentary with the, you know, talking about the Amazon Alexa being a, a spying device and dry, <laughs> the, the, the Instagram influencers falling into the pit and everyone celebrating. And I thought that was pretty good. Um, yeah, the Hulu ad, I, I suppose I have mixed feelings on that. Um, and then the one with, uh, oddly enough, the Brian Cranston one with the Mountain Dew sugar thing. I don't know if that was a good ad, but it was like a Shining parody, and I that caught my attention. So, uh, But those are the ones that stick out to me. You're a Hulu guy. I mean, I, I have a subscription. I'm, I'm done with Netflix as soon as they pull Office off. So, um, yeah, I need to find <laughs> something to invest, <laughs> invest my time in. You know, it's funny. I've heard a few people talk about commercials already, and I must have just been... And not a good headspace because I really don't remember very many really? of them. Um, I, I, the two favorites that I had was uh, the first one was the was the bounty commercial with the dude who had the bounty belt and was like kind of like thrusting and it was like shoot out the <laughs> the paper towels. Yeah, that one was pretty good. And and I'm Searles kind of stole my thunder a little bit. The the one with Post Malone <laughs> and the someone's controlling him in the room yeah. and he's like. <laughs> You got any pretzels? <laughs> I thought that one was pretty good, too. Austin, do you have any favorites? Okay, my top three. Number one for me was the Hyundai Smart Park or Smart Park one. You get Jim from The Office, Debbie Downer from yeah. SNL, and yeah. Captain America in the same You commercial. missed that one? I don't remember that one. No. The, the car parks itself. No, didn't and watch so, it. And so, like, Jim's walking out of a coffee shop. Rachel Drake, what's her last name? Rachel from Saturday Night Live. And then who was the other person that had? Chris Evans, Captain America. Yeah, Chris Evans. And they're like coming out of a coffee shop and they're trying to watch Jim get this car parked and then he jumps out and goes that 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 was clever that one was running before the Super Bowl I actually saw that a couple days ago but all right what was your other ones okay the number two for me was the Lil Nas X and Sam Elliott dance off for the I second love best that type that was a good one too yeah that was Doritos right Yep. cool range Doritos the second best type Sam Elliott's the coolest human being on the planet that huh. guy's just got cool all over him and then in classic Austin Norman fashion, a tie for third was Groundhog Day and the uh, Little Caesars with Rain Wilson. Groundhog Day was probably number one for me because I love the movie. And, and this, that, that thing was so cool. And I guess that was Bill Murray's brother that played. So what happened role. in this? I don't remember this one either. Well, have you seen the movie Groundhog yes. Day? Well, it, it, he reenacts that, and it's for a car, it's for a car, Jeep or something. And so, after he's done it a couple times, he discovers the Jeep, so he just keeps. So now he's like, okay, every time he wakes up, he's going to go find that car and drive that car yeah, around. I missed that one too. And it's Groundhog's Day, and so he gets the groundhog to ride around with him in this this Jeep, and it was pretty cool. That was good. But they do different things every day, so it's not the same day over and over again. True. Yeah, they go do something different with the Jeep, but with the car involved. They went and did different activities throughout the day. What what did everybody think of the Tide commercial that was kept they kept kind of doing it throughout the entire day? No, no. I mean stain. It passed it. It was tired. I mean the first one you go, okay, I I kinda get the premise. Where where the heck was that? There were like six of them in there, Ben. I man, I've I don't know. I 
It was the guy from uh, the movie. It's always sunny. It's, yeah, it's Charlie from uh, It's Always Sunny. It's yeah, all, for, but he's also in a movie where they kidnap their boss or oh, whatever. Horrible bosses. Horrible or, bosses. Horrible bosses. That yeah. guy. So he gets a stain on his shirt. I remember seeing the one where they have like, is that where eventually they had like clean it all yeah. up and everyone's sitting on the couch? Yeah. Okay, I do remember that the was last. Part, one. That was one of the like four or five. I, that they I missed did. all the other. I missed. Uh, so I skipped the climax. Went straight to the end. But he gets this big stain and he's like, oh man, I gotta go get. And she's like, the gal, the girlfriend, I guess, is like, no. No, 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 stain. You can remove that stain later. Let's watch the game and stuff. And so then people keep giving him trouble throughout the whole the next four or five parts about get your shirt changed or whatever. Yeah, be like spilling coffee over you and leaving it on you. No, I don't remember that. At so all. you weren't a fan, Tim. <laughs> Well, so I, I kind of like the the premise. The first one, it was fine because you get the idea, okay, you leave a stain on for too long, even this powerful Tide Pod will get it off. But my thing is don't bring it back five or six times because just, I just start to get annoyed and I start getting angry at the commercial. But the first time was fine. That's all. Austin, do you have a take on the Tide? My take is that... It reminds me a lot of the uh, the famous gif of when he's in that office, Charlie from uh, It's Always Sunny, with the you know red yarn lines connecting all the pieces of paper. That's what I pictured his brain as, trying to figure out what later <laughs> meant, and that's the only take I have on it. Ben, you just seem oblivious. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, there was a lot going was on in the basement of that house with children and dogs. and You're yelling. Yeah. You didn't break a cell phone this time. No. I I honestly held it together better than I thought with children around until the second Mahomes interception. There was there there was a there was some commotion yeah, after yeah, that, that one. That one you lost it there. Yeah. Now, I did get a congratulatory text from Austin. Yeah. I must have missed him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I must have just slipped. Must mind. have slipped his mind. Yeah. He's yeah, too sorry. busy mad at the Tide commercial to, to think about it. <laughs> um, I, what did you think of the NFL commercial with the little kid kind of running around? That was pretty neat the way they I, had and it. I, I, they I, by the way, I knew he was going to go running you on did? the field. Oh yeah. I, I knew he sure. was going to go. Is it bad that I hated that? I think I have a cold, cynical, bitter heart. You do. But I, well, I, you <laughs> think you're just now or figuring I know. this out? Yeah, I, 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 I didn't like it. That's that's what I'll say. Why didn't you? What didn't you like about it? Well, I just it's it's to me it's schmaltzy. It's overly sentimental. It's like oh look at this, uh, the children are running onto the field. Everyone be excited and clap for them. Then then look, Ben, did you not see what happened at halftime as America's moral fabric became unwound watching the Tim? I was talking. <laughs> about the commercial not the, not the kids going right, but no but they the ran field. on the field and because the NFL because I'm trying, starting to say is the NFL is trying to have it both ways like look how family friendly and awesome we are and then, and then they, they made they, that at halftime yeah I mean, so you uh, you you fall in the category that half halftime was not good no I wouldn't say that I would say halftime kind of good but also kind of bad I don't know I mean I'm not a big Jennifer Lopez fan it goes without saying I kind of enjoyed Shakira said even though it was obviously lip-synced I mean that that much is obvious but I think she was good and I think Jennifer Lopez kind of took it a little bit over the top but uh it, it was like J-Lo well did the poll bother you well the poll, I mean it didn't bother me I just thought well besides the fact that like this must be horrendously awkward watching this with small children but uh, to me that was a bit far but again i'm not i'm not like morally outraged i was kind of joking about that but i I, i'm not a fan of her music Uh, i'm just from performative aspect okay that's fine but i don't recognize any of her songs at all i'm not i'm just not a j-lo fan just not yeah i don't know twitter blew up after you had people going best halftime show ever then you had others that were like wow this was just disgusting you and i had kids in the room like you mentioned tim earlier i mean it it, it got explosive for so 30 minutes I, after the i halftime. went and helped myself to some food must it must have been 
So it was after Shakira. Um, and I watched a couple of minutes of, Je- uh, of Jenny from the block. Yeah, Jenny from the block. So it must have got progressively worse because from what I saw, it wasn't bad. You know, she shedded the the one, you know, layer outfit. Yeah. And then she wasn't wearing a whole lot when I came back down. But I didn't have a problem with the outfit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I must have missed the part that was super scandalous. Awesome where you come down on this. I don't understand the outrage because what else do you expect from Shakira and Jennifer Lopez? You know, it, you just know something like that is going to happen. Well, Shakira's was, was a belly fine. dancer. Like, yeah. I've never been particularly enthralled by any of the halftime shows. I've been, you know, old enough to remember. So, I mean, it's just a part of the game. You watch it you don't watch it you move on get back to football <laughs> i mean you have you have a daughter about that age of, a, of offensiveness what did you think I, I it didn't bother me that much um you know and i know we got ku on i mean you know they have polls at their late night deal down there i mean so it, it, did they ever <laughs> and then snoop dog saying if you don't want snoop dog then don't invite snoop dog this, this is all part of snoop dog i, I mean i I, I think if you didn't expect a lot of dancing and all that kind of stuff, then you, you weren't in the right. I mean, that's what they're going to do, both Shakira and, and Jen- J-Lo. That, that's, what they, that's what their acts are, a lot of dancing, a lot of kind of suggestive dancing. That's what they're going to do. Yeah. I don't know. All right, folks, 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. How's your food, by the way? Eight, ugh, way too much. I got a lot of leftovers left. Why didn't you bring me some? Checked all the boxes, though. Had the wings, had the weenies. Uh, somebody brought a big pot of chili to add into the oh, mix. Oh, man. I mean, it was good. It was solid. I ate way too much. Meatballs, had too many of those. Good. So jealous. Bean dip. We had a solid spread at my place. I didn't have pizza. There was pizza there, too? No, didn't. Oh. Was that a mistake? Well, no, I'm just saying, if, if you, I mean... You didn't mention pizza on Friday. No, no, because no, I, I, I felt like we had enough meat dishes that I didn't need to throw oh, pizza Oh, no, yeah, there, you're dude. good. Yeah. You're good, especially with the chili. Yeah, which was a bonus. I didn't know that was coming. One of the <laughs> guests brought that. It was good. So, 